You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. The Bible reading this morning is from Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Okay, well, good morning again, everybody. Welcome to church. It's great to be here. We are using this lead up to Christmas to look at different characters in the Christmas story to learn about their experience, okay? Last week, you might remember, we looked at... Thanks, Darren. Cheers for that, mate. A bit parched. Cheers. Last week, you may remember, we looked at Mary the mother of Jesus, we saw her go on a bit of a faith journey. We saw her move from open-hearted doubt to simple acceptance to joy-filled wonder. And you might be thinking, we talk a lot about wonder and joy at Christmas. How do I get that? Mary's a great example of dealing with our doubts in an open-hearted way, of then moving to simple acceptance. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. She didn't know everything, but she trusted God. And then by the power of the Spirit, she moved into joy-filled wonder. And we can follow that progression as well in our faith journey. Today, we are looking at a lesser-known character of the Christmas story, a guy called Simeon. You might be thinking, is he in the Christmas story? Well, he is, and we don't know a lot about him. We're going to be focusing on him. Less him and more what he says. This this morning, we're just going to focus on a couple of verses, all right? Just a couple of verses, particularly the ones he speaks to Mary. And as he does that, as he says those words, he teaches us something different, something different to the regular Christmas message. And I'm going to kind of say that maybe not as popular. Now, what are the Christmas messages, right? I've preached them. What what are the common ones? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, right? Uh, A light has dawned, be filled with joy for Christ has come. These are all true things and good things and we should preach them at Christmas time. They're beautiful and true. 
But Simeon points us to a different angle of the Christmas story. Jesus did, of course, come to bring peace, right? He came to bring peace on earth. Absolutely very true. But what does that peace mean? What does it mean to bring peace? Simeon gives us a different perspective on the peace Jesus came to bring. Namely this, right? There's no peace without conflict. There's no peace without conflict. There's no peace without suffering. Now, I think we know this to be true, at least a little bit, right, in some ways. You may have seen uh, recently in the Solomon Islands, there's been some civil unrest, and Australia has sent some troops over there to what? To help keep the peace, restore peace, restore order. You know, and you've seen, I'm sure, throughout your life, different countries sending in peacekeeping troops, right, to conflict zones and war zones. What have you noticed that these personnel, these soldiers often carry? Are they carrying flowers? No. These peacekeeping forces are carrying weapons, right? We know that. Why? Well, it can be very, very dangerous places, right? These peacekeeping forces, in order to bring order out of chaos, and in order to bring peace to a, a war-filled zone, they need weapons to protect themselves and protect the vulnerable in order to bring peace. There can be a cost to bringing peace. So today, let's look at a different side of the peace Jesus brings. And while we do, this is my theory, while we do, I think it's going to help us make more sense of our lives, honestly, our, our inner lives. Looking at the peace that Jesus brings at this different angle is going to help us make more sense of what's going on in our hearts and also help us make more sense of the current cultural climate we find ourselves in. Or at least that's my hope. So I hope that that's piqued your interest. I hope you're with me. We're going to look at these words that Simeon speaks. But firstly, who is this Simeon character? Who is this guy? You heard about him in our reading from Luke 2, read to us so well by Kara. Well, apart from this passage in Luke 2, we know nothing about him. We hear nothing more about him in the New Testament. We know nothing about him from other sources. But here we're just told he's a good and righteous man. Okay? Good and righteous man who's waiting for God to show up and save his people. Okay? He's waiting, waiting for God to show up. And amazingly, God has revealed something really special to him, that his desire won't go unfulfilled, that before he dies, he will see the Messiah. He will see the one who's going to change things for good. Pretty awesome promise. And of course, we've noticed in our last series that God keeps his promises. So on this particular day, the Holy Spirit prompts Simeon to go to the temple and Mary's going to see God's promise fulfilled. So in the temple that day is Mary and Joseph, funnily enough. They go there 40 days after Jesus' birth to, do a, to, to complete a ceremony, dedicate him to God and, and to make some sacrifices, right? And Luke, this is a bit of a side note, but I found it interesting. Luke tells us Mary makes a sacrifice of a couple of birds. You heard that in the reading. Weird detail to give, isn't it? The weird, why does Luke do that? If you do a bit of research... You know that on this particular occasion, 40 days after the birth of a child, the proper sacrifice really is a lamb, right? That's what you're supposed to do. But provision was made if you couldn't afford it. So really poor people, if they wanted to do the right thing in a religious sense, they could sacrifice a couple of birds, which were very cheap. Now, does that strike you as kind of interesting? The God of the universe chose, chose to be born into this family, who were really, really poor. So poor that they couldn't sacrifice kind of the correct animal, if you will. Doesn't that strike you as interesting? I mean, God who owns everything, 
You know, as Derek always says, God owns all the donuts. I don't really know what that means, but he says it a lot. <laughs> anyway, but, but it's true, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All the money in the world is his. He chose to, be, to identify with the poor and the lonely and the humble like this. I just find that fascinating. Um, yeah, our God is amazing. So, upon entering the temple, Simeon approaches Mary and Joseph and don't exactly know what happened, but he takes the child in his arms. I don't know about child safety protection back then, but I don't know what they were thinking. But Simeon takes the child from Mary and Joseph and he just kind of holds him up, I think, in this Lion King moment, right? And just says, this is it. This is the one. God, the Holy Spirit reveals to him that baby Jesus, he is it. And he says these famous words, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may dismiss your servant in peace. I can die now, is what he's saying. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the light of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon is stoked. He can die now. And I imagine he probably does leave the earth not long after this. And Mary and Joseph are thrilled by his words, right? If you're a parent and someone praises your child, you know how good it feels. And Mary and Joseph would have been feeling on top of the world at this. Maybe until Simeon utters his next words, which is where I want to focus this morning, okay? This is what he says. He, he turns to Mary and prophesies. Simeon's a prophet in this sense. He turns to Jesus and he says, prophesies who Jesus is, who he's going to be, what his life and his ministry are going to be, and what it means for Mary. And it's pretty intense. It's what I want to focus on. Check it out. These are the verses that we're going to look at. This is what Simeon says to Mary about Jesus. This child, Jesus, is destined to cause the falling falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, what does that mean? I reckon it means two things. That's what I want to look at today. It means two things. It means this. What do we take from these words? Let's unpack it. It means this. First thing, the peace that Jesus brings causes conflict among people. That's the first thing I want to look at. The peace that Jesus brings causes conflict among people. What does Simeon say? Jesus, what he's going to do is going to cause the rising and falling of many. A sign that will be spoken against. Things are going to change. Right? Things are going to change. Not everybody's going to like it. Have you noticed that? Not everybody likes change. Jesus is going to turn things upside down. The powerful, the greedy, the, the people who take advantage of others for their own gain. You know what's happening to them? They're falling. They're on the down. Who's on the rise? The humble, the vulnerable, the poor. They're rising. Now, we mentioned before, right, that peace sounds lovely, doesn't it? It sounds calm and, and lovely and this, this inner niceness, right? That's what we think often when we think about peace. But that's more the result of peace, isn't it? Bringing peace isn't always so peaceful. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys, I'm a big fan of the Batman trilogy series directed by Christopher Nolan. Christian Bale is Batman. They're going to redo Batman. They can't do better than what they did there. So good. Anyway, love those movies. Batman Begins is like my favorite one. I think it's the best one. Anyway, and if you haven't seen the films, don't worry about it. In We, we meet in really one of the first scenes in this, this great movie is we meet Jim Gordon. Jim Gordon, at this point in the film series, is a regular beat cop. 
Later on, he becomes police commissioner, but don't worry about that. Right now, he's a, a, a beat cop in Gotham City. And Gotham City at this point is a terribly corrupt city, really corrupt. Most of the cops, say the majority of the cops, are corrupt. But Jim Gordon isn't. He wants to be a good cop. He wants to be what a cop should be, protect the vulnerable, right? Do what is right. He wants to be a good cop. And it's really hard. And it's really risky in this town. There's this one scene where uh, his partner, who's a dirty cop, gets in the car and he's just received some money, a bribe from some pimp or some gangster, and he offers Jim a taste of the money. He says, go on, take, take it, have a taste. And Jim says, no, nah, I don't want to. And then what his partner says next is really interesting. He said, you know, Jim, you're making us all really nervous. You're making us all really nervous. Now, why do you think that is? Because they think Jim is maybe going to rat on them. And then Jim says, oh, I'm no rat. But they, they think, oh, maybe he's going to dob them in. And I reckon what it is, is he's a mirror to his partner's soul. Goodness showing up reveals the darkness. Jim is very much risking his life by choosing good over evil, isn't he? He becomes a target. Stand up for what's right and you'll become a target. If you stand up for something good, be prepared for some resistance. If you want to bring peace to a conflict, a situation, be prepared for some pushback. You see, Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. He came to shine light on darkness and evil and darkness will not thank him for it. If you seek to be like Jesus to bring light to darkness, which we are called to do, to fight evil, to stand up for good, expect some pushback, expect some resistance. I could give you so many examples from church history. One of my favorites is William Wilberforce, a great man of God who sought to end the slave trade in the UK. Not just him alone, of course, it was the Clapham sect. You can read about them. This is in 18th century England. He was, before his Christian conversion, a wealthy playboy who really didn't care about anyone. And then he met Christ and was utterly changed. And he dedicated his life to changing things, including the abolition of the slave trade. But after William's conversion, after he got this sort of hunger to change things, he didn't just rock up to Parliament. He was really good friends with the Prime Minister of the day, and he was a member of Parliament. He didn't just rock up to Parliament one day and go, hey, guys, slavery's bad. We should totally end it. And then everyone went, of course, William, you're right. Let's do it today. It was not like that. It took 40 years. William Wilberforce was on his deathbed when he heard the legislation had finally passed. Now, do you know why it was such a battle? Because darkness hates the light. Because there were so many evil people benefiting off the evils of the slave trade. It was a battle. What a battle. So many examples I could give. You know, today, people who work for IJM, that's the International Justice Mission, today they seek to free people from modern-day slavery, indentured servitude or sex slavery. And let me tell you, it is hard work, right? These are lawyers who tirelessly work for these people. They don't rock up to people who are benefiting from exploiting others and say, we want to free people who you're exploiting. They go, yeah, come in, sure, great. Yeah, it is hard work. And there's an attrition rate for people who do these wonderful things. It is hard work. But it is good work. It's a fight. And we fight the good fight. 
The Bible tells us that darkness hates the light. Why? Because it exposes what's really in people's hearts. Those people out there, it exposes what's in our hearts. And we don't like it. We don't like it. We don't like being exposed. You know, early Christians, we're talking first century, not long after Jesus' death and resurrection, they were targets because of their faith. In their day, people worshipped lots of gods, or they were pagans, so they worshipped lots of gods. And, and Christians stood out because they wouldn't do that. In order to show loyalty maybe to the emperor or to, um, to a regional god or to like a work guild, if you were a silversmith or whatever it was, you kind of had gods that you would worship. And you did it together as a community. And if you didn't do it, you were marked as really different. Not just different, you were marked out as a non-team player. Why aren't you like us? And they were viewed with suspicion, these early Christians, because they wouldn't worship other gods. And pagans thought, why can't you just be like us? Why can't you think like us? Why can't you act like us? And Christians back then were branded as intolerant. Why can't you just, who cares? They were pagans. They didn't care about adding another God to worship. Why don't you just be like us? Christians back then were persecuted for being intolerant. Does that sound like a little bit similar to what's going on today, just a little bit familiar? Now, I am not for one second comparing what the early Christians went through in terms of persecution compared to our current experience as Christians. Not at all. Very, very different. But cultural attitude is a little bit similar, don't you think? Christians are again seen as intolerant. Right? That's been a change, I think, in my lifetime. Christians are seen as intolerant. Because we don't think like other people, right? Our values are different. And therefore, therefore, we make different choices and conclusions on issues. And that's often seen as intolerant. Why can't you just think like, like us? Why are you different? Why does this really matter to you? You are so small-minded. If we stand with Jesus, we're going to be different. We know this. We stand for good, expect pushback as we speak up for the unborn, as we speak up for the elderly and the vulnerable, be prepared for some pushback. The peace that Christ brings doesn't necessarily mean we will lead peaceful lives. I reckon this is important for us to know. We've got to expect things like this. Now, sometimes we can bring it on ourselves, okay? Right, we can look for a fight, we can push our agenda too hard, or we can be despised for hypocrisy. In that case, we deserve it. But not all pushback we get is our own fault. We all need reminding, not all ill will towards us is our own doing. As Christians, we are peacemakers, yet that can bring conflict. We've got to know this and be prepared for it. We don't look for it, but know it will come. Okay, as one author put it, I thought this was kind of interesting, a bit dorky, but he said this, the manger at Christmas means if you live like Jesus, there won't be room for you in a lot of inns. Kind of true. All right, we're going to keep moving. Just two points this morning. First point, the peace that Jesus comes to bring can cause conflict among people. The peace that Jesus brings causes conflict within ourselves. The peace that Jesus brings causes conflict within you. Now, what do I mean by that? causes conflict within people. What does Simeon say? The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, what does that mean? Well, what did it mean for Mary? She heard it first. What does it mean for her? 
You know, Mary can't have known everything that was going to happen in the future, right? I don't think she did. Sure, she knew Jesus was special. She remembers the encounter with Simeon, the encounter with the angel Gabriel. She knew Jesus was special. But every parent has their own plans for their kids, right? Every parent has their own plans for their own kids, and not all of them come to fruition. There were times when Jesus' life and ministry confused Mary, and there was one time when Mary was rebuked by Jesus. That must have cut pretty deep. But I think really Simeon's talking about Mary at the foot of the cross, don't you? Mary, the mother of Jesus, faithful woman, at the foot of the cross. I mean, can you imagine witnessing the brutal torture and execution of her beloved son? I mean, the immense grief of outliving your child, compounded with public execution. Can you imagine? Talk about a sword of grief piercing her heart, her soul. You know what? If we love Jesus, if we follow him, a sword will pass through our own heart, our own soul as well. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean this. Jesus came to save. His mission statement's super clear and concise. He said, Luke 19, I've come to seek and to save the lost. He came to save you. He came to redeem you. He also came to change you because he is Savior and he's Lord. He came to save you and he came to change you. And that change brings life and healing. It's for our good. But let's be honest, it can be really confusing at times and it can be painful. The change that Jesus comes to bring, the peace that he comes to bring in your life can be painful. An old minister once said, the child of God has two great marks upon them. They may be known by their inward warfare and their inward peace. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Christians should be known for their inward warfare and their inward peace. What does that mean? Let me explain. When we become Christians, when we bow the knee for the first time to the Lord Jesus, Many of our struggles are ended. It's good news. The gospel is good news, right? Many of our struggles are ended, or at least the power goes out from them, goes out of them. We don't have to struggle to prove ourselves anymore. We don't have to struggle to find our identity. We don't have to struggle to have a meaning in life that can handle suffering. We don't have to struggle to find true satisfaction. They're all beautiful gifts of the gospel, amen? Great gifts of the gospel. But you know what? When you become a Christian, a whole new set of struggles can begin because Christ has begun to take hold of your heart and he loves you too much to leave you as you are. He's going to change you. He's got to take that hard heart and make it soft and make it loving toward him. That's a lifetime of work. It's good work, but it's painful work. He wants to change. Just some of it can be quick. Other things are a process, and that process can be hard, and it can be painful. And one of the reasons, I think simply one of the reasons is because it involves repentance. The whole Christian life can be summed up, repentance and faith. That's what it is, right? From the beginning, forever in a journey. Let me ask you a question. We'll finish up in a little bit. Let me ask you a question. What are you like at seeking forgiveness? Any good at it? You don't have to answer. What do you like at seeking forgiveness from a loved one? If you're married, you know, from your spouse, what do you like? When you've had a fight, what do you like at at being the one to ask for forgiveness? Or or from a parent, or from a friend, or from a child? 
What do you like at it? I'm great at it. No, I'm not. I'm terrible at it. I, let me tell you, it's, it's been a battle for me because I'm a prideful man. Early on in our marriage, it was, became very clear to me that I had lots of work to do, and I still do. You know, I would, if we had a fight, I was probably the cause of it. And uh, I just wanted to apologize so quickly, right, to do the bare minimum so we could reconcile and move on from the fight. So I'd come up to people and say, um, you know, oh, look, uh, I'm sorry that, about that before. Hey, what should we do for dinner? You know, change of subject really quick. That was my way of doing things. That's not repentance. That's not even beginning to look like repentance. Now, what, why did I do that? I don't know. Am I alone in doing that, trying to minimize, you know, in forgiveness? Don't tell me I'm alone. We all do it. Why? Because it's hard. Because it's painful. Because it hurts. Being vulnerable hurts. Yeah? It's hard. It is difficult. It's painful to admit you're wrong. You know what real repentance look like, looks like? It's not, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, what should we do for dinner? It's, I'm sorry. I would love it if you would forgive me. But first of all, I want to give you an opportunity to speak, and I'm listening. How have my actions hurt you? Whew. That takes guts. How have my actions hurt you? And I'm listening. And then repenting of, of what they say. Doesn't that take guts? And then repenting. Hey, guys. We're almost done. <laughs> okay. That's real repentance, and it's hard. But t I tell you what, that pain leads to healing. And in the same way, it's not easy to confess our sin to God. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's, it's like pouring antiseptic on a wound. Have you ever done that? I remember growing up, my mum was a nurse. Oh, man, I didn't want to tell her when I grazed my knee because out came the betadine, it, and it hurt. But it's the only way to stave off infection. The pain leads to healing. I hope I'm making my point. There's no way to experience the peace of God without this. Through the pain comes healing. God can and will bring things into our lives, lots of different things. He'll, he'll bring them in or he'll use them to change us, to humble us. Often they're painful, but it brings healing and peace. Let me end on this. Okay, let me end on this. I'm reminded of uh, something that happened in, in my life fairly recently. I got an email from a friend who had been and is going through a really difficult time, a really difficult time. He's a pastor like myself. And he sent around an email update to friends so we could pray and know what was going on. And the email said this. I found it incredibly um, life-giving and him being so vulnerable. It was very encouraging. He said this, we feel very weak. We look very weak to people we trust. We look very weak to people we don't trust. We are officially weak. He went on to say, a good friend asked if we felt anything else. I said, we both feel sure of God's love. We wish he'd take us someplace different to this, but he hasn't, and we trust him. So we don't feel panicked or abandoned. His friend then reflected back, saying, so you feel weak and you feel trusting. His friend then reflected again that it doesn't seem dissimilar to where God leads his people in the Bible regularly. He brings them to a severe awareness of their own limits and a knowledge of his goodness and ability. 
And that while it might not be a place you choose to go, it's a place that is good to be. He then shared in his email a little passage from C.S. Lewis's, uh, in the Narnia series, Voyage of the Dawn Tread. And I read this recently as I was reading it to my daughter. Um, There's a character in the story called Eustace. And he's not one of the original Narnia kids. He's sort of a tang-along. And Eustace is a brat. He is a nasty kid. He is not a nice kid at all. And the other, other kids are part of, this, uh, part of the story, trying to be kind to him, but it's really tough. They all find themselves on a magical island. And through a bizarre set of circumstances, this kid, Eustace, is turned into an ugly dragon, right? His nasty insides are manifested on the outside as hard, scaly, knobbly skin. And this kid, Eustace, spends a week as a dragon. And it's awful. No one recognizes him. They're all scared of him. It's a horrible experience. So after a week of shame, embarrassment, and pain, he's led to a marble pool by Aslan, the lion, representing Jesus. Aslan invites him to bathe in the pool, but says to Eustace, you've got to undress first. Well, Eustace tries to get off the dragon skin. He tries and tries. He exhausts himself, and he gets off just a tiny bit. And then Aslan says to him, you'll have to let me undress you. And this is Eustace speaking. This is in the book. Eustace said, I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff off, right off, just as I thought I'd done myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the other bits. And there I was, smooth and soft and smaller than I'd been. Then Aslan caught hold of me. I didn't like that very much for I was very tender underneath. Now I didn't have any skin on. And he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone. And then I saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. It's great, isn't it? All that pain brought about the healing he desperately desired. At Christmas, we celebrate Jesus bringing peace to the world and peace to our souls. In order to bring more peace, more of his presence, more of his love in our hearts, he will remove things. Things like pride, anger, lust, greed. It may hurt. It may hurt, but it's for our good. And you know what? We never have to feel the scalpel of the great physician, Jesus Christ. We never have to fear it, even if it hurts because we know it brings healing and life. But how can we really know? How can we really know? This is how. Because there was a spear that pierced Jesus' side on the cross. We know this. On the cross, Jesus' hands and feet were pierced. Why were they pierced? Isaiah tells us, He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for the peace that you bring to the world, to our hearts. Lord, we know that you love us just too much to leave us unchanged. And sometimes it may hurt. But Lord, we can trust you. We can trust you with it. So whatever it is in our lives right now that you are trying to do, it may be causing us pain. I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you'd reveal to us what we need to do. Maybe we just need to open ourselves up and allow you to do the work. And we need to trust you and to move toward it with grace, the grace that you give us. In Jesus' name.